Man, welcome to On to Moxie with F.P. Wellman. I am your host, Fred Wellman, otherwise known as F.P. Wellman on the internet and uh, worse things, but that's fine. <laughs> hey, we got a great show. I'm not going to dork around. It's a crazy time in America, which I say every week. So let's just get on with the show. Oh, man. Welcome back. Welcome back. I am still Fred Wellman, host of Ogden Moxie. This is us on the Minus Touch Network. As always, say hi. It's a Friday night. Uh, I hope you're here to have a good time because we are. It's going to be a great show tonight. It has been an absolute madhouse in the Capitol Hill right now, which I think I say, but really, I mean, I don't know if you all saw that yesterday, but I think, you know, or this week we had like congressmen beating each other up. You got senators threatening to beat up a union guy. And, and can we note threatening the head of the Teamsters? I don't know, man. I grew up with that. <laughs> anyway, ask Jimmy Hoffa how that worked out. But we digress. So that's that's before we talk about the insanity of what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be passing legislation, and they're not. And so we could talk about that stuff, and we will maybe after our guest. But uh, the best part is, the best part is I got a great guest to talk about some madness in the past. And that, of course, is a guy I've been trying to get on the show forever. That is Harry Dunn. Harry, welcome to the show. Serving police Pleasure officer. Thanks for having me, man. Yep. Having me, man it's good to see you here, man. It's been Matt. And he, he was in the middle of the match, January 6th. You know this already. Most important, though, he's got a new book out called Standing My Ground, right here on the desk. Uh, already a New York Times bestseller. Dude, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. It really means a lot. And I couldn't have done it without people like you and your, your amazing listeners. So and the thing about writing a book, you know, I'm glad that people want to hear what I have to say. So yeah. that makes me feel good. But it also lets me know that they care about yeah. what's going on. And um, that's been one of the things that's been so encouraging for me, people yeah. that actually care. And um, that's a that's a good sign right there, so. Well, that's it, and the book, and I, and I read the book, and, and, and by the way, listeners, viewers, please buy the book, because honestly, it's terrific. Uh, and it isn't just about the actions of January 6th, and we're gonna talk about a lot about that, but also your journey, the journey. I mean, I love the fact that you open the prologue. The prologue of your book is about the mental health aspect of the trauma. I, I loved, I love a good prologue. I think I think Matt will probably say like every author has been on the show. I'm always like, man, I love your prologue. <laughs> but I think the prologue is the heart of a good prologue is the heart of the book. It's the heart of the author, yeah. right? And you open yeah. up, and I love what you say there. You say, you know, we all have trauma from January 6. We have, we all have we have a moment, and I think a lot of Americans can say that. And I love that you you recognize that. You say even if you were sitting in your living room like I was with my son that day there's a little bit of a trauma that goes to the national trauma event like that. Your unique portion of that trauma is that you were no kidding in the middle of it. And I think that's a really unique thing to recognize. And it goes a lot to who, who you are. And I've gotten, and I've gotten to know you now, which is just the privilege yeah. beyond measure, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you're that. tall and I only reach up to like your elbow. Well, <laughs> 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 to pose that picture. Uh, but having said that, it does go to your heart of, of the book and the book has heart and the book goes through that journey of, Hey, look, trauma is a shared thing. And this is my unique portion of it. Um, what, what led you before we get to the action, what led you to be so open about this thing? I mean, look, and let's, let's not kid. You're a former football player. You actually played pro football in California or excuse me, Canada for a while. I mean, yeah. you're, 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 uh, if those of us who know, you know, you're not a big tough guy, but there is a persona that goes with the business you're in as a police officer. You've been very open about this. What leads a man like you to be so honest and so open about that portion of it? You know, I, I think I just attribute a lot of it to, um, the way I was raised, man, my, okay. my parents instilled in me. My father was a military man, um, yep. retired yep. Uh, from the Air Force Chief uh, Master Sergeant. Um, I think that was it. Yeah, Chief Master, something like that. Yep. But he retired, uh, you know, 
Um, my parents are still together. I have four sisters, you know, just a loving family, a family that came from love, grew up in the church, um, you know, doing the right thing. And uh, I owe a lot of the person that I am right now to my parents and um, my family and the community that I was surrounded by. You know, it was one of those, you know, it takes a village. Like it, it, we talk about in my book, the teachers that I had that, you know, had a relationship with my parents and, um, you know, just instilled in me from the beginning to just want to be a good person. So, yeah. And it shows. And I think that goes through, that is a thread throughout your story and your life as you, as you've made the choices you've made in your career and your personal life. And then since, since that day, when you made a very courageous decision to go forward, um, first anonymously and then, and then very, very, um, personally to testify to anything else. And it goes through that, you know, and that day is so key. And I, and as I was reading the book, there were so many moments and I'll talk about a few of them in our discussion. Um, but I mean, I remember you talk about something that I thought was interesting is the eerie silence. And it's easy to forget that that time, you know, we still had pandemic going on, you know, as you went to work on January 6th, you'd said there was this eerie silence in the city uh, around the Capitol that, that of course was jarringly broken just a few hours later. Um, yeah. describe that, you know, so like I said, we were in the middle of a pandemic. Um, everybody in, in DC, uh, everybody was teleworking. Right. I mean, hell, they still telework now. Right. <laughs> uh, but in the middle of a pandemic in January, it's cold. It's, you know, you, it's like it's daylight savings time. So, you know, it's dark in the mornings or, you know, it's starting to get darker. It's the pre-dawn glow had just started. And um, so usually you're driving into work and it's nobody on the streets. You're catching every light and you're running. Yeah. You, get, you, you know, you're making good time getting to work. But on January 6th, you know, you're driving in. And it was people walking down the street, like in the morning with flags and stuff. And like at the moment, I just like, wow, this is weird. But like looking back, it was a hell of a foreshadowing moment, man, um, to, to what was going to happen because it was so out of the norm of what we were used to during that point in time. Uh, like I said, because of the pandemic and everything, but yeah. there were people riled up six, six thirty in the morning, you know? Yeah. And they came to fight, and you and you talk about two other out of normal things, and and and, and I don't want to give the whole book away, but I'm going to give parts of it. And you mentioned two key moments as you prepared that you still think about to this day, and yeah. and and one of them was after your briefing, and you were sent on a very specific mission that was an incongruous mission from anything you'd experienced at that point on the Capitol. When to go get riot helmets, man, which is which is a, yeah. a weird thing, like you know, and, and even still, like obviously looking back. It's like, but at the moment, we're just like, all right, this is weird. What are we, do? what are we supposed to do with these? What are we doing? Why are we getting these just now? Like, are, is these for everybody? Do we use them today? Are we just having them just in case? Just all these, we didn't know what to do. Cause we were just like, Hey guys, go pick up these helmets. Uh, all right. Now what? <laughs> Cause you guys never did for most of these, what we call first amendment demonstrations, which is the term of art. Right. Um, I think it's safe to say right? that over my time, I think it's, you know, estimated it's a total estimation, but and be 16 years of service um over a thousand protests of any wow. kind wow. and not and, and when i say when i say protests i'm don't don't think january 6th no don't no. think the uh the israel pro israel march that just happened don't think million man march don't think th those are those are outliers obviously yeah. but i mean you have 20 30 100 group people uh, that gather at the capitol that's considered a first amendment protest so you know all of those included too not just these you know, so when I say a thousand, I'm like, what is sure. Um, but no, we we don't usually. Well, we didn't usually. We never had had that uh that order given to go get some helmets. So huh. at the moment, it just seemed like, all right, here we go. This this is weird, but whatever. 
And still, it hadn't sunk in that something that dangerous was afoot that day. Yeah. And then the second one was <laughs> the odd orders for the civil disturbance unit and their gear, you know, where their gear was supposed to be, which is normally with them because the whole yeah. point, I mean, if, if for context, as we know, I think, well, Aquilino Ganell was with us a few weeks ago, yeah. uh, of course, and, and he, I think he was a CDU that day. Um, what was odd about CDU's gear? So, so well, one thing I, about that about that portion of the book, um, I love the opportunity to include everybody when I yeah. do stuff. You know, I'm always including yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, but so in my book, I, I, I wasn't on the CDU squad, but that um, I interviewed one of my coworkers and um, asked, could I use her story and put her in the book? And this was her story that she shared with me about. Um, and, and it was the experience of majority of the people on C CDU, which is civil disturbance unit. Right. Um, that, that that's what happened. And they were, their gear was not with them when they needed it that at the most. And I saw a picture of this, um, the person that I interviewed in the book, uh, identified as Christine. Um, I saw a picture of her and on the front lines, they're standing out there in just their vest, like no helmet, no, no wow. nothing like hell, not even a coat. And it's like I said, it's January. It's cold it's outside cold that day. So a lot of them were just, um, handling business against the most, um, I don't know the word, the most, uh, inevitable odds, I guess. So yeah. And, and unprepared for it. And they never got their gear because the gear was off. Right. Correct. So those questions, like I said, they still linger yeah. with me. Um, cause it doesn't make sense. Now I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm no. not, not, I'm far from it at all. And it, it could just be chalked up to, um, somebody is just, uh, wasn't, uh, was in the wrong place. Uh, didn't make the right decision. It could be just as simple as that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's, it's still, a pro it's still problematic. Right. It's funny yeah. how, in retrospect, and, and my comic experience, my comic experience the same way, how, and I, I, I did Desert Storm where I saw some fairly intense aerial combat, and then and then Iraq too, or invasion of Iraq. I just love Iraq. I keep going back. It's the food. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just I love kebab. Um, but it's funny how your memory is like that. Your memory kind of is like, okay, that's a weird moment. You know, I remember, and, and it's the it's the moment you pick out. Uh, it's that morning. It's and I remember the calm too. Is like uh, you know stepping outside your tent right before we went into Iraq. You know, and, you know, they're just, okay, this is weird. Everything is so quiet. But then it's just later you go, wow, it was not quiet for long because all hell broke loose. And another thing, um, you know, I was in down in Richmond, Virginia at the time, and um, I was still working for Lincoln Project then. And my son and I, are watch we were working that day, and I was watching this thing unfold, which should have been an, a, a nondescript event that day, ended up being much more. And I got to tell you, I actually did tweet. <laughs> it's funny. I tweeted out, you know, shoot these first <laughs> you know shoot you know I was like shoot because I I specifically remember seeing the oath keepers in their file uh going up the steps and I knew mm -hmm. I mean I'm an old ranger I went to ranger school you know I'm not I'm not an actual you know I went to ranger, I'm ranger qualified thank you very much but I went to ranger school back in 1993 I know what that file looks like I know what those guys are doing those are those are military trained or at least military you know like trained people and I knew yeah. they were they were up to something and I remember screaming and, and tweeting at one point hey just start shooting people uh, my son actually made me delete it because it goes, that doesn't look good. But, you know, you had a very interesting discussion about that. You, you answered that question very well in the book. I mean, I'd love, I know it's, I don't see that discussion everywhere else. Tell me, tell us why, why, why did no, why were no weapons discharged that day, brother? Well, you, well, you know, obviously in the military, like you, you were, and you oh, can one. talk about, um, yep. you're there to attack. Like right. that's your job as a, as a military with, 
you know, we could say defenders of the homeland, but a lot of time defending means attacking. Yes. Um, but that's not really what police do. We don't go on, you know, full out assaults and, you know, that that's not what we're prepared for. We carry Glock, Glock 22s, you know? So, yeah. you know, we don't, I mean, now we have, we're equipped to respond to stuff and we respond. That's what, that's what police are. We respond to stuff. Um, so we're always like behind the eight ball. So it's kind of like we react. So, it, 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 you're already behind eight ball, but um, I think it one it speaks to the caliber of the men and women that I work with the the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Department because you know obviously may and this is just a thought like I said it's no proof of it but maybe those individuals they were armed there were there were people there that were armed and maybe they were looking for a reason to start shooting yeah. and if you know we started firing upon them then then they could use their justification of, oh, oh it's, a, it's a war or something like that. And I think a lot more blood would have been shed that day. Um, but to be able to walk away from that day with nobody being shot outside of one person, obviously, um, without, outside of that, I think it's, I, I don't like to just say things are miracle because things happen because individuals made decisions. But that just speaks to the, the caliber of officers that we have. They're, they're rightly trained. They're properly trained. Um, and I, and using deadly force is an individual decision. It's not like, you know, you have these a checklist to, you know, all right, I can do this. But you have to be able to articulate why you did. But I think it's easier to articulate why we didn't versus, you know, if, if for the individual who may have shot. Yeah. That makes absolute sense, and 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 reading that was really eye opening to me. It, it it made absolute sense. It would have escalated things. It would have, you know, it, 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 blood in the water. It, it's like sharks, right? It just it, it increases yeah. the likelihood of violence, and we know that. And, and by the way, there isn't there's an antecedent in my own world, right? If you if you may not, you don't. I mean, you're a young man, <laughs> unlike some of us. But you know, if you remember, a lot of the escalation in Iraq was when the 82nd Airborne shot some protesters in Fallujah. The reason Fallujah, yeah, I'm familiar with right. Become, yeah. Fallujah <laughs> became a hotbed because they shot. They shot protesters, and and what do you know? A year later, they're hanging contractors in the street. So there is there is a price that comes with discharging a weapon. That a lot of a lot of people who are horny for violence don't understand that there's a discharge that goes. You know, discharging a weapon, taking a life, is a very serious thing on both sides. Yeah, of the it's, equation, not, it's right? not like I said. It's not just something you see in a movie or a video game. You just walk up and just start firing indiscriminately. That's not that's not how it works. And it could have escalated to a whole nother can of worms that you know thank god we don't we're not talking about today yeah it really makes sense more and more as i think about it too because we do know now the oath keepers had weapons in virginia um they had and also and also not to cut you off but just think no, about it. just like just think about the stuff that we do know like how trump there were talk that he was waiting for that so he could invoke the insurrection act right so if he thinks the capital's under siege by uh, active gunfire then what's to stop him from invoking the insurrection act and never leaving office. So like never, like. That's such a good point. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, I, I agree. And, and Just think of if there's a gun battle at the U.S. Capitol. Right. right. And the vice president, Donald Trump, can, at that time, invoked that act, you know, and I learned about that through, you know, the, the fantastic scholars, uh, Jamie Raskin and a couple <laughs> other people that are smarter than me <laughs> um, during the impeachment hearings and stuff like that. The same, those were in the cards that some of the things that Donald Trump had discussed, you know? Right, right. And it, and you're absolutely right. And the escalation is enough for it. And it, it's amazing to me when you look at that day, I don't know if you look at the same way, Harry, but 
how much of good people like yourself, even, you know, people are going to hate, I'm going to get comments, but the, the legendary Antifa. Okay. I was in Richmond. Let's be honest. I was in Richmond during the BLM protest. I actually, okay. I actually went down to the Lee statue <clears throat> and participated in some of the, pro I was, I was one of those guys. I was in the protest myself. Um, I, I live right next to one of the Confederate monuments and we had yeah. these, we had these kids show up all black. We had these kids show up with the smoke grenades and the, and I remember I went to a, they're organizing a march one day I went to it and these kids showed up with leaf blowers. If you remember, they had the battery powered leaf blowers, which they used mm -hmm. to blow the tear gas and stuff. And to their credit, the BLM organizers in Richmond chased their asses out of there, by the way, yeah. which was the greatest thing I ever saw. This this uh, wonderful black activist in Richmond was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> if you're here to cause trouble, get, I mean, she'd shoot these kids and they're like kids, like college kids, chase their ass out. But saying that, they didn't show up in, on January 6th. You guys did not take the bait to shoot that day. How much yeah. more bad, how much worse could it have been if people who were supposed to take the bait had taken the bait? So it is a great credit to you and your colleagues that you didn't take that bait when you had the opportunity except for one necessary shot. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I think that just goes to the caliber of men and women that we have working. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a, a hell of a call for police reform in this country, rightfully so. Um, and when police do their job, um, even as ugly as it was <laughs> on January 6th, the, the mission was fulfilled um, because the mission is to provide Congress a safe, um, a, a place where they can conduct their constitutional responsibilities. Right. And at the end of the night, they went back and they certified the election in the U.S. Capitol. So as ugly as it was, you know, you got to find some kind of way to look at him like, you know, we won. And I think that's one of the things that made me proudest about that day because yeah. they didn't win. Right. No matter what, like the there were broken flagpoles, the windows were broken, the doors were barred shut, uh, splintered wood, uh, residue, fire extinguisher, every, hey, that, what's that, halon stuff that's in yep. the fire extinguishers? Yep. It was everywhere. There was shit on the wall, but they fucking did their job in the Capitol like the Constitution says that they have to do. And man, I tell you, that made me proud. Yeah. As ugly as it was, that, that was a proud moment. Like, like, you know, when they say, uh, in the Star Spangled Banner, when they, Oh, through the night yeah. that our flag was still there. Yeah. It was kind of like that thing. So yeah. it was a proud moment in the midst of all that went wrong that day that went right. So that's a great place. That's a great place to pause for our sponsors. As a matter of fact, and we'll come back and discuss this some more. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Lomi is the only appliance that prevents food waste from stinking up your kitchen and polluting the planet. Now that I've invested in Lomi, it's changed the way I deal with my food waste. Lomi is the biggest innovation in the modern day kitchen since the dishwasher. It's helped me turn my home into a climate solution. And now I can transform my organic waste into nutrient-rich Lomi earth I can feed to my plants, lawn, or garden instead of sending it to the landfill. I can help the environment and make my life easier. In just four hours, Lomi transforms almost anything you eat into nutrient-rich plant food at the push of a button. It's smart, simple food recycling that fits my space perfectly. You can cut the chore of doing the trash in half and eliminate bugs and odors in your kitchen. And here's a bonus. You get to feed your lawn and garden with an all-natural fertilizer that you just created out of your food scraps. 
all my food scraps, be it plant clippings, even those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge can go into my garden, helping me grow more nutritious food at home. I learned that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. By reducing the amount of food I send to the landfill, I'm helping do my part for the planet. Now, whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or, you know, just like me, grow just a really beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Now, head to Lomi.com slash Fred. Use the promo code Fred to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off and you head to Lomi.com slash Fred. Use promo code Fred at checkout. Thank you to Lomi for sponsoring this episode. We appreciate your support. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo or a wacky message board. No, we're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Now, not everything in a bad habit is bad. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of an electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. And instead of chemicals, fume uses all natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes in an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing anxiety while breaking your bad habit. The first time I used fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up and I feel pretty cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and honestly, even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. So join Fume, accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Now, head to tryfume.com and use code FRED to save 10% when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code FRED to save an additional 10% off your order today. Man, that's a great place to start. And then, and I was going to ask that next question. Of course, we did talk about someone did get shot. And, I, I, and it was interesting to me, you dedicate a pretty good chunk of the book to discussing those on the other side. I thought that was, again, not to blow smoke up your ass, but I do it. Uh, I'm here, you're here, I'm gonna smoke up your ass. I, <laughs> uh, I, I like the, I, I, I love the approach that you took there because if, for those who read the book, you're gonna find that that the really the January 6th is sort of, sort of the first half of the book and the second half of the book, you really do go into great depth of, of who was there, why they were there, how they got fooled into being there. Cause you met some of them, you saw the frothing mouse and the anger calling you the most heinous racist term um, to your face. Um, uh, you were very honest about what you told them, which generally was fuck you, <laughs> you know, but, but one of those that struck me, of course, is one everybody knows is Ashley Babbitt and, and, and Ashley Babbitt is such a unique character in this entire arc and remains so today as sort of a martyr of these fools. But she was an Air Force veteran. She was like an Air Force veteran, like your father, for God's sake. Um, yeah. you know, we know now, you know, Michael, you know, Michael, no, no, I mean, um, Brian Sicknick, was an Air Force, you yeah. know, veteran on the other side of it, right? So I often would tell people that what was interesting, interesting to me about January 6th in a lot of ways, and I, I compared these two people, I compared Officer Sicknick and I compared Ashley Babbitt, is both of these Air Force vets, honest to God, thought they were fulfilling their oath still yeah. that day, right? You know, yeah. they, <laughs> you know. And I'll even, I'll even draw another parallel with you. Um, 
and you know, Sergeant Gunnell that you've had on the show yeah. before me. Yeah. That's that's Army my buddy, man. I, Good people. I, I'll hold him down anytime. But <laughs> there were people in court that were saying that the PTSD of um of war, they were the defendants were using the PTSD as an excuse. And Sergeant Gunnell was like, I suffered from PTSD. I was in war with you. I was in war. What do you yep. what how do you how do you say that I am doing the opposite of what you're doing now? So I think it's important to one we can't, and I think that's what we 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 are our own worst enemies at times, and I don't think we do it on intentionally, but it's easy to, it's so easy to just brush people away as like oh they're delusional they're nuts and they don't matter and we brush them out. That's the problem. That's how we get January six. We get a bunch of people there who think that they don't matter. That one man. Donald Trump has blown smoke up their ass and say, you guys are the most important things in this world, blah, blah, blah. And so well, I, got, I, I, people, I went to a friend of mine, he's a judge and he got sworn in. And one of his, at his swearing in ceremony, he said that people come to his courtroom. They want to hear, they want three things. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be respected. And I think on January 6th, majority of those people there, didn't feel none of those three things by the country as a whole. Hmm. And they're just like, you know, we, we have to acknowledge their existence. We can't just brush them off and we need to do a better job. And I think that's why I went into the fact of explaining who Ashley Babbitt was, who were these other individuals that were charged. These guys are real people. So we, we need to reach these individuals. And I think, I, I don't know how you defeat this ideology of MAGA, but it's not by pretending they don't exist. Mm. Um, we need to do, try to do some kind of education or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe this is the optimist in me, but um, I, I don't know, but we cannot acknowledge that they don't exist anymore. <clears throat> that's because that's how we get January 6th all over again. Right. And, 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 and stop being fed the propaganda and the, the vitriol that leads to it, right? And, 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 Correct. and that, of course, that leads us to the instigator of January 6th, who is now uh, in charged in multiple indictments, four indictments, 91 charges, uh, yeah. uh, is also the leading leading candidate likely for the Republican nomination to, to make a run back at the White House, even as he's under felony charges, and, and to include January 6th. Um, he's still feeding them. He's still feeding the lies. He's still feeding the, the egos of those people. But, but now I'm going to ask you a question now. Oh, okay. Let's does do it. Donald Trump, does Donald Trump being the front runner say more about Donald Trump or does that say more about this country? There you go. Right. You know, and that goes back to the point that I was I saying, agree. we can't, we can't act like these people don't exist. Correct. He's right. the front runner who has a chance of winning the freaking presidency. Yep. Right. Like, so we can't, we can't just say, Oh, he's delusional. It's not, it would they're lying. Okay, then what? <laughs> you, know, you know, we got to do. We got to find a better strategy than just saying they're delusional and they don't exist. I, I, I hate to agree with you, but you're right. <laughs> I you know, I'm right, well, you man. know, because I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Lincoln Project, former Lincoln Project guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hardcore guy. I, I'm very angry about the things they've done. Oh, I, I am too. Don't be, no, yeah, I'm, oh, and, right, but you're right. There, there are, this, but dude. you're right. How do we? But we do all have to understand that this is our country. That that we have to, we have to elect people going to represent everyone. And and there is a portion of our country that feels left behind. I talk about a lot in the, on our left side, and, and when I talk about with the union stuff, right? You know, so unions, yeah. right? The unions have like. 78% support right now. And I think the reason for that is, and that's such a change from even a couple of years ago, is because we came, a lot of us came out of the pandemic and, and others saying, holy shit, the rich are getting richer. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, I keep hearing how Jeff Bezos is worth more than you know God. Elon Musk loses fourteen billion dollars a day, and it doesn't actually hurt his bank account. Um, and and Crazy. and I can't fucking afford a house anymore. And I, I said yeah. a lot in the show that there were, during the first days of the strike, the UAW strike. I saw an interview with a worker in in Michigan, and she said the most remarkable thing that was such an amazing sense. She said, uh, "We just want to be middle class again," and yeah. I think I think that's part of it, Harry. Don't you see yeah, you kind of saying it's like you know, it's very profound. Like yeah. so many Americans who who were promised an American dream are feeling like it was left behind, and they're being told, "Yes, it was," and here I'm going to solve it. That demagogic, and that's where Donald Trump comes in, right? Only yeah. I, only I can fix this, right? And yeah. how do we who are on the side of sanity wean them from that idea that there's the system works is 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 quite a challenge. And uh, I'm not necessarily sure I'm one of the guys to do it, but <laughs> you know, I think yeah. your I think yeah. your perspective is very good. And I and I respect the fact you put that in the book and you and you talk about it today that you, you do give a ton of humanity to these people who literally hours before, or days before that, you know, or whatever that day. We're shouting in your face, calling you the N-word, you know, yeah. you know, calling you a traitor. They um, exist though, man. They have a they have a voice and they have a vote too. And that's the most powerful tool we have as Americans is our vote. Um, so that's what I, one thing, one, that's why, why do I write the book to hopefully educate people? Cause educated voters are the best voters. Um, not just people that are voting with their emotions, be educated. And if you make an educated decision, it, it's funny. Like when the left, uh, when the left and the right are talking about voting, the right is telling you who to vote for. The left is just telling you to go vote. Yeah, uh, I just always just noticed that it's always it's an interesting dynamic because we don't have to tell you who to vote for. Just go do it. Right. You know, and everything turns out right when turnout's high. You know how the elections go. Right. So yeah, the participation is the key, and too many of us are sleepwalking through our democracy. Right. Yep. And and then guys like you and even me in my own way since I served in the army, you know, we we understand how. This is a life and death fight. Um, sometimes it's in our capital. Sometimes it's in sands overseas and, and wars. That but it could end up. It could sent. end up that way. Yeah. It could end in up a life and death fight. We don't know. Yeah. You know, like we we took our eyes off the prize in 2016. We got complacent, yeah. and look what happened. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right now it's a fight, and and that it's a great place to segue to. You know, you talk a lot about in the book at the end, especially about you know. The, you know, one of your favorite sayings, you know, be the change you want to be in the world. You, you tweet that quite a bit, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I, I, yeah. I follow you, I, I, you know, what does that mean to you today, Harry? I mean, after all this experience and, and then, of course, the jarring experience and, and everybody, a lot of people know you because you did step forward early, first anomaly, then before Congress. And yeah. obviously you've got a big personality. You're, you're a big dude. You stand out. You, <laughs> um, what does that mean to you now where you are in the world after this life changing experience? Uh, now you're a New York Times bestseller being the change in the world. Where does that take you? Everybody has the opportunity to do something. Like democracy is not a spectator sport. Yep. We have to actively participate. And whether that's running for office or whether that's supporting a candidate, whether that's just simply voting, everybody has to participate. So a lot of times we, I'm going to say we, because that's a, that's a hell of a, you know, inclusion. <laughs> a lot of people, um, complain without doing any action. All right. Well, this I'm very um solutions oriented, right? Yeah. So if we say, man, it is so cold. Oh, it's so cold. It's so cold. All right. Go inside. I can't go inside. We'll put a coat on. I got a coat on. We'll put another coat on. <laughs> Something change your change your 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 circumstances to get out of that complaining mode. We got to do something. It, sitting around complaining, I get it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. We got to do something. 
I don't know what, I don't know if uh, what I'm doing is going to make a difference. I, I don't know. But at the end of my life, when I'm judged, you know, I don't know people of faith or whatever, I believe in God. And I, you know, when I'm judged by the God at the, the pearly gates, and he'll be able to look and say, yo, you did a good job. You did everything you could. And that's all, that's, that's what life is about to me at the end of it saying, you know, and maybe this is the sports in me because our coach would always say, leave it all on the field. Give it everything you got. Like play every play like it's your last play. And maybe that's just that's how I translate it to just public service and stuff, man. But, it, you know, it sounds all fairy tellish and shit. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's all I got is a little bit of hope that what I'm doing is worth it. Because once you lose hope, fuck, man, you, what do you have? What do you have after that? That's it. Nothing. That's it. And, and I think You're that's, a that's what cranky, trying. grouchy mf man. <laughs> <laughs> I've been accused that, but I'm also, I'm often accused of being an optimist. And, and I joke a lot about even being a veteran like I am and, and, and some of the stuff that's happened, especially these last three years since I've gotten more involved in politics. Um, it's easy to become cynical. It's easy to become a pessimist. You, what you've gone through, I can't imagine a scenario of what you just experienced uh, uh, coming up on three years ago. Uh, and by the way, you still return to that workplace every day, Harry. I mean, people forget that you are still, unlike some of your peers, you still climb up those stairs. I've caught you on those stairs a few times because you, I don't know, you kind of stand out for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I Just mean, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Just a little um, bit. Yeah, but you, you put on that uniform and you go back and you do you do your humble service, uh, a humble servitude, which I think is what we're supposed to do. Um, I respect that. And and you're right. It is, it is, it is important for people like you and people like us um, my fellow veterans and others to, to, to continue to believe that this is a, this will work. It is funny how, and by the way, I think it does matter to you, Harry. I think what you're doing, what you're saying matters. I, I hear it. I read the comments. I hope you'll watch the show, but Midas touch my, we call them the Midas mighty on the Midas touch network. Of course you'll, you'll love the comments on our show. If you ever look, it's one of the few things I, I love my show because I can actually read the comments and, um, yeah. and they'll say, man, I, Love this guy or Fred, you gotta slow down. <laughs> I get that a lot. You talk fast. I know. Sad, I'm trying. But having said that, it also is thank you. I, I appreciate your optimism. I appreciate the hope because they are being pummeled by the negative, Harry. You see it every day. Even in my line yeah. of work, I, I work in politics. We're pummeling them with the negatives. We're pummeling the attack ads per se. But I think it just does matter that voices like yours are giving hope. And and I think you're doing that, and 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 you get up every day. And so, what is it like at the crack of dawn? You got a daughter, and then you, you put your shoes back on and go back at it, right? That's what you have to do, man. Because another thing that I always say is, until there's nothing that can be done, there's always something that can be done. You know, so yeah. find do something, find some work, do something, get involved in some capacity. And it doesn't have to be running for office. It doesn't have to be being a police officer. Just you know. It, uh, even just hell, even just showing a little kindness in this world that we live in now, it just in, inspires somebody. I, I don't know, man. I just we all can do something. We all can do something. I don't know what, but get busy. You know, <laughs> that's the message, and it's a message I give when I give speeches. It's a message I give here on the show, which is like, do something. And you're like, right, something. not everybody can run for office, but you can, and not everybody can give money for people, right? Because that's the other answer they always give you is, oh, well, just donate. Money, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck that. You don't necessarily, I mean, I, I, okay, I shouldn't say that because I'm, I'm going to beg for money at the end of the show. But <laughs> <laughs> having said that, you can also do more. You can write letters, you can canvas, you can go to meetings, you can, I mean, look, if you look at how that school board craziness, the Moms for Liberty types happened is because they were going to the meetings we weren't. You know what I mean? It's like, it, yeah. it's showing up. If you show up at your local school board, you show up at your, your city council, you'll be amazed how the tools of democracy can be used both effectively and ineffectively, but presence matters, right? 
Yeah, it, it definitely does. And, you know, <laughs> hell, that's why people, I've got messages from people saying that they, uh, they see me just showing up and that gives them hope. So just even just by, you don't know, just your presence sometimes can inspire somebody. So we can't get, we, it's easy to get discouraged and become complacent, but God, for the love of the country, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a a stretch to say that democracy is depending on it. You know, I agree. That's a great place to go. And last question, of course, is your bourbon collection, which, ah, <laughs> which came up came up in the book as well. And and the question I had burning, and maybe I, maybe I missed it in the paragraph, is what were you drinking in the shower that night, Harry? <laughs> Antique Weller One Hundred and Seven, which All is right. one of my favorite bourbons. It's really good. Um, <laughs> but shit, man, I just tell you that was uh, I just went through the motions that day, and yeah. I just I just. It was that was a terrible night, and I don't, like I said, I don't even remember falling asleep. Yeah, but I just know it was time to get ready and go back to work the next day. So that's what struck me because Sergeant Gunnell said the same thing that he got home at like it ended being like one thirty two in the morning. By the time like he, I think Alcalano talked about he did the same thing. You did kind of strip the clothes off outside, so you yeah. wouldn't drive you wouldn't drive the tear gas and the and the and the crap into the house. And uh, I remember he Gunnell talks about how his he was worried about COVID too. So he, yeah. didn't want, he didn't want to expose. He actually slept in his basement because he didn't want to get his kids sick. Because I guess some of your, your fellow officers got sick from COVID that day. A lot, uh, we lost a lot to COVID in the next couple of days after January six. So Jesus, you know. So and 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 then you then the punchline of that story. The, I guess the that's not the right term, but what time did you get up the next morning? And go back to work. I, I don't even remember falling asleep, but uh, I usually get to work right. I usually leave the house six o'clock or so. So. <clears throat> yeah yeah <laughs> that's it and i and that's a great place to and i think that tells you tells you a lot about your character and your and your peers and what you guys Thanks, do man. you know i think and i and i'm i'm very proud to know you and it's just a privilege i'm proud it thrills me like a like a uncle i guess to see <laughs> I'm, I'm much older than you are to see your success and see the book doing so well to see you using your voice so effectively uh, amongst us and um it's just a privilege to to witness that and, and thank you for that Thanks, man. Yeah. It's always good. I appreciate you having me on and giving me a platform too. So thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. We'll have to connect soon. I'll be back in DC. I'll come harass you on the steps one day. Please do it, man. <laughs> and take me, and we'll, I'm going to make you take me out for a drink. Here good. You, go. uh, you know what? That's, oh, oh God, stop. No. <laughs> you got it. Well, thanks for joining us, brother. Thanks for having me, man. All right, cool. Man, <laughs> what a great interview. I, I love Harry. I, I, I am so blessed that I had the privilege to get to know him in the last couple of years um, through some of my work and then just being a great guy. I always text him I'm on a Capitol Hill and chase him down and say hi and let him tower over me. Uh, we'll, we'll post that picture, Matt. <laughs> here's, here's me and Harry, uh, almost the same height in this picture because <laughs> I'm standing on the curb. Uh, <laughs> uh, having said that, you know, it is, it, I don't know how he does it. You know, Harry goes to work up there and the insanity goes on. And I don't know if you guys saw this great commercial for the Democrats just came out uh, on, on, on Wednesday. Check out this great commercial for the Democrats. One thing, I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me, one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done. That's not a commercial for the Democrats, but it's going to be. <laughs> that's, that's Representative Chip Roy from Texas um, lamenting the failures of his majority. He's very angry 
that they put in Speaker Johnson, and then two weeks later, Speaker. By the way, got rid of Kevin McCarthy because he passed a clean CR with the Democrats. Whatever's been a month and a half later, they just did the exact same thing with the Democrats because they can't pass their own goddamn bills. And so he's lamenting his frustration with his peers because they haven't passed anything. And that's exactly the point. The Republican Party is incapable of governing. And it's not just in Congress. Here in Missouri, um, they, they, they just can't seem to get their heads out of their, well, you know, fourth points of contact, as we call it in the military. It's no different to where you live. I mean, for some reason, they all hate each other more than they, they want to do the business. They just hate. And I think that's where it goes, right? When so much of your, the, your, your ideology, so much of your political uh, persona is, is, is owning the libs, right? Or, or, or getting rid of others or controlling others' lives, this is what it leads to. It leads to a point where everybody's an enemy, right? Because if you're a puritanical about things, if your own people aren't puritanical enough, then they're an enemy too. And it's only a matter of time to lead each other alive. And that's what we're witnessing. And what did we see this week? We literally saw that. Kevin McCarthy allegedly elbowed Tim Burchett in the back as they were leaving the Republican caucus meeting. Uh, we had Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma threatening to beat up the head of the Teamsters Union, which, by the way, again, bad call, dude. <laughs> you, you know, you've got uh, Bobert fighting with MTG. It's just they're not capable of governing because they not only do they hate you, not only do they hate us, they hate each other. And uh, it is going to be some great commercials because I tell you what, if I'm on any campaigns this, sector, this season, I don't know if I'm going to be, if I am on any campaigns, we're going to run that baby as an ad because that is the message they're sending, that if you continue to give the Republicans the majority in the House, the majority in the Senate, they will not govern. They will do things that are just awful. So how do we fix that? Well, that brings up, of course, my work I joked about during the show, Forgotten Democrats, as I've mentioned before, I'm the national chairman, sort of the spokesman. And then, you know, Forgotten Democrats is designed to do just this. You know, we had so we had over 126 people run without a reasonable opponent. We had 23 run completely unopposed last cycle on the Republican side. It's time we helped candidates who are trying to run in hard places. The model of the Forgotten Democrats is very simple. You donate, it's a monthly donation model, small amount, 10, 20, I love more. And that money is evenly divided amongst the most needy candidates, the most needy nominees. Come next fall, once we have all the nominees figured out, whoever's got the least amount of money will get money first directly. No overhead, no IE campaigns, no ads, simply your donation being delivered to the candidates who need the money the most. So I would be honored and privileged if you joined Forgotten Democrats. With that, you can always find me on the internet. We forgot to ask Harry where you can find him, but he, he's online as Libra Dunn. He usually is, he uses Libra Dunn almost everywhere on, on, on Twitter and on, on uh, threads, as a matter of fact. You can always find me at FP Wellman. I am still on X. I know some people don't like that, but that is where the fight is, unfortunately, and I'm going to keep on fighting it. I'm on threads, and I love it. FP Wellman official. I'm Instagram, FP Wellman official. Of course, the show is on Pod or on, on X and elsewhere. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're there. I know you have, love having you on Maya's Touch, but we do some fun things on, the, on our own YouTube channel too as well, and we'd love to have you there. With that, thank you for being a part of our show. Thank you for subscribing to our Substack. Thank you for your comments on there. I put a lot, I'm putting a lot more content up on Substack. All these are the fun places where we have a wonderful community together here uh, on Democracy, especially part of the Maya's Touch Network, which I love being a part of. Thanks for everything you do. As we've said, you can make a difference. We are winning. Elections last week showed that the movements we're doing, we're seeing our Republican colleagues fall apart because they know they're losing this political fight. And we, we, the people on the side of democracy are going to win it. I hope you'll keep on with the fight with us. With that, we'll see you next week.